Hello, Stage Combat listeners, Sean Hayden here. Before we dive into Episode 8, Deathless, we want to advise you that this episode does deal with passive suicidal thoughts. So, if that is potentially triggering for you, please proceed with caution. You're listening to Stage Combat, a mental health story of what really happened behind the scenes at the Goodspeed Opera House in East Haddam, Connecticut, during its 2019 production of Billy Elliot, the musical. Stage Combat is a true story of the narrator's personal experience during his mental health journey from 2019 to 2023. This podcast contains actor portrayals of actual events. The names of the members of the cast of Billy Elliot have been changed. Stage Combat contains strong language and addresses mental illness. Check the show notes for more details. Haywood Productions LLC offered Goodspeed Musicals Inc. and the Goodspeed Opera House Foundation Inc. the opportunity to include a statement in each episode of Stage Combat, including an option to deny the events as depicted. They declined. Haywood Productions also offered Goodspeed's artistic director and managing director the opportunity to appear on this podcast to discuss the narrator's account of his experience at the Goodspeed Opera House. They both declined. When I posted on social media about my anxiety and panic disorder, I said, Anxiety is not a linear path, but one with peaks and valleys. I'm learning those peaks and valleys can last a few hours, a few days, a few weeks, or even a season. It's autumn in New York, and I might be scaling up one of those peaks. Fall always feels like a new beginning to me. Summer vacations are over, there's a chill in the air, people are busy getting back to work. I'm busy at work too, because I've retained a lawyer. And my lawyer has advised me that Goodspeed violated my legal rights. And after really thinking this through, I've decided I do want the Goodspeed to acknowledge what they did through the legal system. So my lawyer, he's preparing a settlement demand. He'll send it to the Goodspeed for my medical bills, my loss of income, for infliction of emotional distress, for publishing defamatory statements about me. I'm optimistic that my case can be settled because here's what I'm thinking. One, I've already got a victory in my favor. My union prevailed on my wrongful termination claim against the Goodspeed. And two, in my mind, Michael Gennaro, Goodspeed's executive director- It's always been my dream to put Billy Elliot on the stage doesn't truly know what was going on at his theater because I never got to tell him. So, if we can just inform Gennaro as to what really happened at the Opera House, we can leverage a settlement, and my husband Ian and I can finally put the good speed behind us. You're listening to Season 2, Episode 8 of Stage Combat. Deathless. While I continue to work with the attorney, 
I also continue to work on my panic and anxiety disorder. It's something I have to evaluate every day. I'm still keeping my mental health log, still seeing Dr. Mike, and still talking with my therapist, Benny. One day, Benny asks me, Do you ever think about going into acting again? How? The thought of going into a company of actors horrifies me after what Chad did. And how would I trust a theater to provide me with a safe space to work after what the Goodspeed did? I haven't sung a note since my final performance of Billy Elliot, and I feel like the joy of an art form that I've loved since childhood, since I was that boy in the white turtleneck in the Olin Mills photo, is drifting away from me. December rolls around, and the settlement demand is ready for my attorney to send to the good speed. It's 58 pages. It goes into excruciating detail of the repeated warnings I gave to the Goodspeed about my safety, details about my panic attacks, details about my whistleblowing complaint. Three days before Christmas, my attorney sends the demand and a draft of a proposed lawsuit to Rachel Tischler, Donna Lynn Hilton, and Michael Gennaro, along with a dollar figure for settlement a dollar figure that is based upon the events at the Goodspeed of which I am aware. When Goodspeed receives the demand, Rachel, Donna Lynn, and Gennaro know there was a set of events that happened behind the scenes of Billy Elliot. Events that are not mentioned in the settlement demand because I haven't learned about them yet. And Rachel and Gennaro, both being lawyers, have to know that if my attorney actually files a lawsuit, I will eventually learn what really happened behind the scenes at the Goodspeed Opera House. It's a January winter Saturday morning, and I'm at the farmhouse with Ian and Lila, our rescue dog, having a cup of coffee. There's no word yet in response to the settlement demand other than the news that Goodspeed has hired an attorney from a law firm that has over 300 lawyers and offices in nine cities, including New York, Washington, D.C., and Toronto. My attorney has a single office in Bridgeport, Connecticut. I'm scrolling through Facebook when I see someone has put up a post with a picture of Donna Lynn Hilton. I quickly start to scroll away until I notice it's an article in the Hartford Current newspaper announcing that Michael Gennaro has retired from the Goodspeed and Donna Lynn Hilton has been promoted as the Goodspeed's new artistic director. I pull up the article. The writer notes Donna Lynn Hilton started in the Goodspeed's props department in 1988 gluing pom-poms. Donna Lynn says, To have come to this point and to really now have the keys to the car, it's just really thrilling. It's just a little bit of, can I get hokey and say, we can still have the American dream. We can still go all the way within a company. 
my anxiety accelerates into high gear. In my mind, all I see is the person who did nothing to protect me, who was silent about my panic attacks. I'm surprised to hear you say that you don't feel supported. Who gaslit me about my performance. Performance concerns to be addressed. For the note to maintain... Who wrongfully terminated me. Sean's behavior led Goodspeed to find releasing him Who to repeated be the best decision, a fabricated death threat. Including a severely escalated conflict on stage involving an alleged death threat. And now she's at the top of the masthead to decide what happens with my settlement demand. Along with her general manager, Rachel Tischler. And I fall into one of those low valleys of anxiety. Spring comes around, and there's still no response from the good speed, now led by Donalyn Hilton to our settlement demand. My attorney tells me we may have to file the lawsuit after all. One day in March... I'm assisting my attorney with some research. My legal team wants to know whether the Goodspeed has ever addressed mental health issues in public. Can we show a jury that Goodspeed purports to support mental health to the public, but turns a blind eye when its own employee suffers a mental health crisis? And I find an interview with Donna Lynn Hilton in the Connecticut Mirror Date, October 20th, 2020. Over and over again of young performers struggling with mental illness or substance abuse as a result of the rug being pulled out from under them. Okay. I keep searching. And I discover a show called Deathless, produced by The Goodspeed two seasons before I arrived for Billy Elliot. Plot synopsis. Haley feels the familiar signs of a panic attack. You've got to be kidding. She begins hyperventilating, coughing, shaking. And then I see that Goodspeed published a guide for his audiences about how to recognize the symptoms of panic attacks and how to deal with them. The producer was Donalyn Hilton. The general manager was Rachel Tischler. The executive director was Michael Gennaro. In the guide, there's a section called, What are the signs? There's a drawing of a woman who looks like her head is about to explode. It lists the symptoms of panic attacks. And of the seven listed, I experienced six of them at the good speed. Breathlessness, dizziness, palpitations, trembling, nausea, sweating, accelerated heart rate. My head starts spinning, and I start to mentally revisit each moment at the good speed. Suddenly, the world I used to know, I see it differently. You me so, last night, I had my first panic attack. I was dizzy, short of breath, my heart was racing, and I just started sobbing uncontrollably in, in Larry's arms in the wings. Panic attack last night. And then I see the guy tells his audiences 
What causes panic attacks? Usually, there is a subconscious reaction of fear that induces a panic attack. Panic attacks can also result from known fears. Sean met with me for a healthy 20 plus minutes after the show to express his frustration and fear that he's being railroaded. I tell Donna Lynn and Rachel that I come to work in terror. I don't feel safe. There's also a list of medical articles regarding panic and anxiety disorders. The first one I pull up talks about the fear of having another panic attack when returning to the scene of the first panic attack. The patient felt uneasy about returning to the same restaurant and movie theater where the panic attacks occurred. She constantly worried about having another attack. As I open the stage door, I'm suddenly hit with a fear of another panic attack on the Goodspeed stage. There's another section captioned, "How can I help someone?" And then there's another woman standing next to the woman whose head is about to explode, saying, "It's okay." I just don't understand these people. They wouldn't say a word about my health. No. Are you okay? Do you need anything? I don't get it. I take my laptop into the kitchen to show my husband Ian. They knew. They knew all this stuff, and they just let me suffer. The next couple of days, they're pretty rough. I can't control my breaths. My eyes feel fatigued, like I haven't slept in days. I have trouble completing my day job work. I'm back to not giving out my name in public. I'm depressed, and I crawl into bed. Oh no! Anxiety creeps up on me. Is this how it's supposed to feel? I write in my mental health log. Good speed broke my spirit, and I don't think I'll ever get it back. I think about that settlement demand because Goodspeed has not even put one dollar on the table to settle. I have no choice. On April eighteenth, twenty twenty, my attorney informs me that a New Haven County State Marshal served Goodspeed with papers. The lawsuit of Sean Hayden versus Goodspeed Musicals. And the Goodspeed Opera House Foundation has been filed for breach of contract, for defamation, for intentional infliction of emotional distress, for negligent infliction of emotional distress, for failure to supervise its employee Chad, and for retaliation for exercising my free speech to bring a safety complaint. Nothing to celebrate. This is not a part I want to play. I've never sued anyone in my life. I don't want to be a plaintiff in a lawsuit. I'm feeling the weight of a lot of things. I'm feeling the weight of. 
Tata Lynn Hilton's promotion. The weight of discovering that Goodspeed knew about panic attacks. And the weight of recognizing that Goodspeed has ignored me again by ignoring the settlement demand. I write in my log, I'm in such pain, I can see where someone would just want to be done and not live anymore. I'm ashamed and embarrassed of what I've been reduced to in this weakened version of myself. I just hate it. Scary thoughts that I'm having. I call Dr. Mike. He says I'm having what are called passive suicidal thoughts. That's when someone has thoughts such as it would be easier if I weren't alive or I wish I were dead. However, there is no plan to act on it. He gives me a new medication. Another tool in my tool belt, as he calls it, for me to use when I need some extra help. And I start to stabilize a bit. My spring season of anxiety is folding over into summer. And I'm sitting in a medical facility on Amsterdam Avenue. For some time, I've been suffering from physical muscular manifestations of anxiety in my body. It feels like there's a boulder pressing down on my neck and shoulders every day. And there's also headaches. The pain has become excruciating. My orthopedic doctor has recommended physical therapy. I look around and I see a lot of people in really bad shape. A lot of seniors who can barely move. And I feel for them. I start to get really anxious being in such close proximity to everyone on their beds. My mind wonders, how would I ever handle being in a crowded dressing room with other actors? There's a nice physical therapist named Joe. I tell him about my collapse, my panic disorder. He asks me, Is there anything in this room that you see that might trigger you? And I start to tear up because no one at the good speed ever asked me anything like that. I tell Joe I feel like I'm turning into someone much older than I am because it's getting harder to move my body that this panic disorder has ravaged me. Joe says... Yeah, I can see some loss of motion, and your shoulders are rounding forward. And I realize that by walking around day to day, 
with my shoulders forward and my head down. I've been trying to make myself seem smaller in the world. After eight weeks of a program of electrostimulation, stretching, exercises, and massage work, I'm ready for the next step. Walking down Broadway, I come upon a small gym in my neighborhood, located above a McDonald's, because New York is a city always full of contradictions. The gym is run by a friendly Argentinian named Fernando. And his gym offers high-intensity workout classes. I stand in the back because I can't bear to look at myself in the mirror. I sweat and struggle all through the class because my anxiety, it's made me weaker, slower. But I keep coming back climbing up the stairs to the little gym over the McDonald's. And eventually, I move a little closer to the mirror for a new class, which incorporates boxing moves. All right, here we go. We got a jab cross. I try to execute them. I flounce and I flail. I look like a doofus. The stage combat I've done in shows has never required me to box, so I don't know what I'm doing. Lead up, rear up. There, there you go. And then I start to break it down. I put one hand into a fist and put it in front of my face. Show me something good here. Oh, that's why boxers do that. I mean, yes, I've always seen them do that, but it's not until I'm actually doing it in front of my own eyes that I viscerally feel it. An armor of protection. I form a fist in the other hand. And I throw a punch. Let's go. One, two. That's it. One, two. Come on, Hayden. Make a strong fist. I throw two punches. <laughs> this time, more deliberate. There you go. Show me some power now. I can feel the blood start to race through my body. Uh, okay, Sean. I see those. And I look into the mirror. And I see words. Donna Lynn Hilton's words. Superimposed in front of my face. Sean caused others on stage to feel unsafe. And I throw a punch. I see... Sean was emotional and aggressive backstage. I throw another punch. More words. Potentially dangerous. Are you kidding me? The guy backstage who could barely breathe? Death threat. What is wrong with you people? Punch. How did this happen? How did I get here? I mean, I'm a lawyer. I know how to speak up. I know how to defend people myself. I can fight back and look at what they did to me. Oh my God. What if they do it to someone else? To someone who can't punch back? The words in the mirror then dissolved, revealing a face. There was a guy looking back at me with a fire in his eyes. Someone I hadn't seen in a long time. I saw in that mirror someone who was ready to claim the role of a plaintiff in a lawsuit. A fighter who was suing the good speed.
Haywood Productions offered the Goodspeed the opportunity to include a statement within this episode. The Goodspeed declined. Goodspeed's artistic director and managing director declined an invitation to appear on this podcast to discuss the narrator's account of his experience at the Goodspeed Opera House. Coming up on the next episode of Stage Combat, a mental health story. For over two years, I've racked my brain, trying to figure out what really happened at the Goodspeed. Why did no one ever ask me if I was okay? Why did people just stop talking to me? How did Chad get away with so much? Why was I accused of a crime? Why was I so abruptly fired? On this December night, over two years after Billy Elliot's final curtain, I finally learn what you already know. Stay tuned for a post-show talkback with Sean and his guest, psychologist Dr. Elisa Hurwitz. Sitting with the discomfort, right? We have to be okay with that discomfort if it's happening. There's a whole range of ways in which in our culture we don't sit with discomfort. We don't know how to do it. And we numb away the feelings of discomfort. That's coming up now. Hello, everyone. This is Sean Hayden for our post-show talkback for Season 2, Episode 8, Deathless. And just a trigger warning, we will be talking in this post-show talkback about passive suicidal thoughts. So if that is potentially triggering for you, please proceed with caution. We have with us Dr. Elisa Hurwitz. Thank you so much for being a part of this conversation today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So Dr. Hurwitz, in in this episode, we heard in my story where I hit a pretty low point and had these alarming thoughts, which Dr. Mike referred to as passive suicidal thoughts. So what are we referring to when we use that phrase? So we look at suicidality in terms of ideation, plan, and intent. And I think the important thing that I hope people get from this part of the conversation is that suicidality is on a long continuum. And so we can look at suicidality if it is passive or active is is another kind of way of assessing it, uh, another important way of assessing it. So that distinction is that the person wants to take action to unalive themselves, or is it a wish to be dead by some secondary means. So for example, people can have passive suicidal thoughts of the nature of, I'm really tired of feeling this way and I wouldn't be upset if a bus hit me and killed me. Which is what's happening in this episode. And that's passive suicidal ideation, which again, it's on the continuum, but the continuum of suicidality is really large. Um, An active suicidal ideation would be if somebody had thoughts about, like I said, how they would unalive themselves with their own action directly. Yeah. And, you know, there was something about what was happening to me in this episode that was different than a previous episode. 
episode five, Subway, the listeners heard that I wrote, I was keeping a mental health log on my phone. And I wrote, I don't want to be a part of the world. And that was after I heard the Goodspeed statement, which was a fabrication to actors' equity. But there was something very different of what was compiling in this episode that became scary for me. Whereas I feel like that line I wrote in episode five, it was severe depression. But there was something about the events that were sort of compounding with learning about the prior show where they had an audience guide about panic attacks and seeing someone promoted you know, it hit me in a, in a scary way that made me feel like I needed to reach out to my doctor and say, hey, I had this thought, what should I do? So it was interesting that there was a difference. It was the same thought on paper, but it hit me in a different way between those two separate episodes. Yeah. And for whatever reason it did, you know, I'm glad that it did hit you in that way and that you reached out for help. And I, you know, the other kind of, I think, important message I hope people do take away from this conversation is that because kind of extrapolating from what I was saying before, piggybacking off of that, because suicidality is a large continuum, I hope people feel more comfortable talking about it. There has been this overcorrection in response to the understanding that talking about suicidal ideation, especially among adolescents, can have a, a contagion effect. But that has been overcorrected, and now people are afraid to talk about suicidality. And also, there is an overcorrection within the field where professionals will not feel comfortable talking about it and will, you know, will suggest a person needs to get evaluated in an emergency department situation when it's really only a small portion of that continuum that needs that level of immediate attention. So please know that talking about suicidal thoughts is good. Talk about it. Talk about it. Not good that people have those thoughts, but it is good to talk about it. And there will be professionals who are not scared to talk with you about that and will give you the help, provide the help that is needed because it is an indication of the severity of somebody's depression that, you know, that needs attending to. So the overcorrection can actually cause harm because in the process of it, you know, we're missing the opportunities to bring awareness to people so that if they have faced that or they do face it in the future, you know, even having a conversation like this, if you have that thought, then maybe you'll remember this conversation and say, oh, I remember what happened to Sean. He called his doctor and they came up with a plan. So I think having the conversation is important as long as we're careful and sensitive about it. 100%. Let's talk about how do we advise someone who has a loved one or has a friend who is expressing those kind of thoughts? You know, a few things. One is that being present and not minimizing or, you know, kind of pushing it away, saying, no, no, you don't feel that way. Don't say that. You know, that's like a common one. Don't say that. Don't talk like that. Well, if, so if somebody's having the thought and they're just saying it out loud, they are thinking like that and it's okay to make space for it. It's not okay they're feeling that way, but it's okay to make space for it. So don't try to don't try to push it away. It's uncomfortable. We got to sit with that. And also know that the kind of help that a friend can provide is different than the kind of help that a psychiatrist or a physician or a therapist can provide. And, you know, and encouraging somebody to get that therapeutic support is part of being a good friend. So it's kind of two part. Don't minimize and suggest talking to somebody who's a professional in the field. You know, that just comes back to a theme that we keep hitting over and over in these conversations and in the story of stage combat is 
making space, making space for people who are having struggles, mental health struggles. Sitting with the discomfort, right? We have to be okay with that discomfort if it's happening. The discomfort that we may feel talking about is not as bad as, as the harm that the person who's being attacked is feeling. There's a whole range of ways in which in our culture, we don't sit with discomfort. We don't know how to do it. And we numb away the feelings of discomfort with our phones. I do it too, right? With drugs, with alcohol, with being busy. <laughs> yeah, we numb ourselves and we numb ourselves to what other people are going through. Right. If we're numbing ourselves to our own feelings, we're certainly numbing ourselves to what other people are feeling. Well, thank you so much for this thoughtful conversation. We just want to remind our listeners, as we do at the end of every episode, that help is available by calling the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline. You can call or text 988. So please, as we always say in our disclaimer, these are discussions. They should not be construed as medical advice. So please, by all means, if you are suffering in mental distress or have any medical issues, please consult with a medical or a health professional. Dr. Hurwitz, thank you for being with us today. Thank you, Sean. Dr. Elisa Hurwitz is a clinical psychologist in group private practice in New Hampshire, where she specializes in the autism spectrum and gender identity. And she also applies her professional knowledge to consult with theater companies and conduct post-show talkbacks. You can find out more about her at drdrama.com and by following her on Instagram at the Dr. Drama, that's T-H-E-D-R Drama. Hey, Stage Combat listeners, Sean Hayden here. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Stage Combat, a mental health story. Be sure to join us for episode nine. It's called Discovery. In our post-show talkback, we're going to do something a little different. Actor Brian Shepard is going to join me, and we're going to talk about our shared experiences with panic attacks. You know, it's not often that men speak openly about panic attacks, so I feel like this is a really important conversation that we need to have more of. Stage Combat, a mental health story, is a production of Haywood Productions, LLC. Our consulting producer is Ian Southwood of Southwood Productions, LLC. This episode was recorded and edited by the industrious Andrew Lynn, and it was directed and read by me, Sean Hayden. Please follow us on Instagram at Stage Combat the Podcast IG and on Facebook and TikTok at Stage Combat the Podcast. Did you know you can also listen to episodes online? You can do that at StageCombatThePodcast.com and you can also sign up for the Stage Combat newsletter. As always, we would love to hear from you. Your comments, questions, maybe you'd like to share your own experience. Email us at stagecombatthepodcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to rate us with five stars at your podcast platform. I hope today and every day brings you an opportunity to claim your story. I'll meet you over at episode nine. If you or someone you know is in crisis or contemplating self-harm, you can reach out to the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline by simply dialing or texting 988. That's 988. Mental health assistance is also available through the National Alliance on Mental Illness. It's a free nationwide peer support service providing information, 
resource referrals, and support to people living with a mental health condition. You can call the helpline at 1-800-950-6264 or text HELPLINE to 62640. That's 1-800-950-6264 or by text to 62640. The content within this episode should not be considered legal advice. Please consult with an attorney should you have any questions about any legal issue.